Right then. <laughs> Romans chapter 8. We finally arrived at chapter 8 of Romans. Learning to fly is what I've called today and in a moment you'll find out why. Paul has been taking us on quite a journey, hasn't he, through the first seven chapters of this amazing, very deep book of Romans, letter to the Romans. Uh, He wrote to the church out there and he's taken them and us on a journey of the state humanity has ended up in and going our own way and quite what Jesus has done about it and he's setting us free and then the truth of what it means to be free and what it means to live out of that. That's just the first seven chapters. We're now reached chapter 8, which will be the end of this series. The rest of the book of Romans carries on to other areas, which we cover in in different series at different times. This is a good place to end on, because it is very much the mountain peak. Chapter 8 is the mountain peak, or the hinge, of the book of Romans. And in fact, it's one of the great mountain peaks of the Bible. It's an amazing chapter. If you're not familiar with it, get stuck in. Seriously, we're going to go through it over four Sundays, but in your own time, get stuck into the truths and the amazing riches that are in there. So, naturally... We are going to read from um, John chapter 10, just to fool you. Uh, just want to read one verse just before we do. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus is speaking to just people in general, not just the disciples, to the Jews in general. And he's explaining, using a metaphor, using picture language of himself as a shepherd and people as the sheep. And he says, I am the good shepherd. But just before that, he explains something about uh, what it means to protect the sheep. And to nurture them and to help them flourish. What it means to shepherd isn't just you know, taking them across the hills. It's about nurturing and protection. And he says, the thief, this is what Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. There he's talking about Satan and also, by association, the power of sin. Satan is always out for himself and he's out to steal, to kill and destroy. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, and this is what the Holy Spirit's been making very evident through our worship time this morning, says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is the great life giver, and he doesn't just give us life. He gives, it, gives us abundant life. Life abundant. How often can we say we're experiencing life in abundance? Truly? Really? Can we all put our hands up? Yeah, constantly full abundant life. Anyone put their hands up to that? Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. Well, Paul's been taking us on this great journey through Romans. Now, having reached chapter 8, he, he reveals everything he was building, in, building up to, this great crescendo. He reveals what it means about life in the Spirit. Therefore, you're released from that. Now you get to live this way. Now you get to live like this. And that's what we're going to look at, life in the Spirit. Spirit is, uh, Holy Spirit is the third member of the Godhead, that eternal, amazing, joyful, everlasting, forever family Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is something we, we get wrapped up into what's known as the Trinity, the three-part Godhead. God is three in one. They're all God. They're all equally God. They're not a third of God. But there are three people in the Godhead. It's a mystery. We'll never get our heads around. And it's good. It means he's bigger than us. I'm happy with that. That's who Holy Spirit is. So we're going to find out what it means, life and the Spirit, what that looks like, both practically and in truth. And so Romans chapter 10, oh sorry, Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at the first 13 verses. I'm going to work through in four stages, as I've listed here. There's four sections to this we're going to work through that Paul takes us through just to help us learn to fly. Are you ready for that? 
Well, before we read that, let me tell you something about butterflies. I've learned something very curious. First of all, this bit we know. Caterpillars and butterflies. Same creature, but very different. Yeah? Caterpillars can be good-looking, a bit weird, but they can have pretty colours, interesting stripes, interesting fur that you probably shouldn't touch in case it does weird stuff to your skin. Caterpillars are, can be pretty, but they're nothing like a butterfly. A caterpillar, while being the same creature as the butterfly that it eventually becomes, it can't fly, it can't catch the eye in the same way, and it can't bring beauty to its surroundings in the same way as it can as a butterfly. Do you see this? Same creature, two stages, two conditions. In the same way, a human being cannot fully flourish until you're no longer alienated from God and you're caught up into relationship with him. Same creature, but actually a new creation, a new condition. Because when that happens, when you get swept up into his family through Jesus' work and not our own, when you get swept up into that, suddenly, through his gift of Holy Spirit, he brings new life into us and suddenly we have on our hands a human being who can, so to speak, spread their wings. Life in the Spirit gives you wings, not just Red Bull. Life in the Spirit gives you wings. We cannot in any way hope for an, a viable alternative. If you want to know what it truly means to flourish as a human being, it's only in Jesus and only through the Holy Spirit. So how do we do this? Well, that's what Paul's getting to here. He needs to ram home some truths for us to learn what it means to truly fly and live in the Spirit. Because here's the thing about butterflies. I didn't realize this. When the caterpillar, they go in the chrysalis, when they come out the chrysalis as a butterfly, they don't fly straight away. When they come out of the chrysalis, they have to beat their wings. And what they're doing, they're pumping a very special fluid into the veins in these wings that then strengthens them in order to be able to fly. Okay? And what, in order for us to flourish as Christians, Paul here, he's helping us to strengthen our wings with four beats of the wings to pump strength into our wings so we can then truly fly and flourish as people of God. So we're going to look at what it means to be approved through the Spirit. He's going to look at that in the first four verses. The next four verses, what it means to be redirected, our hearts redirected in the Spirit and how that brings life. The next three verses, look at what it means to be secured with the Spirit. It keeps pumping these, look, flap your wings, strengthen them in these amazing truths. And then finally, the last two verses, verses 12 and 13, we're going to look at equipped by the Spirit. Okay, now go. Here's how you do it. Okay? Now are you ready to read? We'll do it now. Okay. We're going to do it in four stages. We're going to reach each, read each section, then look at those truths, then read the next section. So first of all, what it means by being approved through the Spirit. First four verses of chapter 8. Here we go. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to, that spirit, to, according to the Spirit. That first verse is the truth he's ramming home there. There is no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me explain. When you see someone who you'd really like to hang out with, if it's someone you do hang out with quite a lot, you spend a lot of time with, you love their company, and every time you see them, your heart, oh, I get to hang out with them. They breathe life into me. You know, those kind of people. Or someone you don't know, but you've seen them from afar, and you know, I'd really like to get to know that person. 
You know those kind of people? Probably some, some faces or names might be coming to mind. When you see that person walk in a room and they don't acknowledge you, they don't notice you, and they, they, they're not aware of you, even right in front of you, they, they almost completely ignore you. How does that feel? That can be quite hurtful. They might be doing it innocently, ignorantly. They might be doing it willfully. But either way, when someone turns their face away from you, like, oh, it, you can feel that, that nudge, that hurt. Well, in the same way, to turn our face from God is a hurtful thing to do. It's the same thing. We've all done it. And because we're talking about the most awesome, powerful, perfect being, the consequences of turning our face away from him are dire, just because of who he is. And so condemnation is about, the word condemnation means utter disapproval. God sees what we're doing, and because he's so perfect, he needs to act with it justly. It's complete disapproval of our actions, thinking we know better, and we're going to focus our attention on something lesser. It's complete and utter disapproval. There's condemnation, what it means to condemn, it's utter disapproval of that person. But, out of his goodness, through Holy Spirit, Jesus has quashed those consequences of what it means to be fully disapproved by the living God. How? By standing in our place. You see in verse um, 4, he condemns sin in the flesh. How? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who's ever completely fulfilled every aspect of the law? No one, no hands going up. None of us have. Of course we haven't. He's done it for us. That's the point. He stood in our place. He lived the perfect life we could not live. And then he died in our place. Have you ever asked the question, is God's love for us unconditional or conditional? Have you ever asked that question? Does it come with conditions or is it completely unconditional regardless? What do you reckon? Unconditional or conditional? The answer is yes and yes. What I mean is this. Tim Keller is very helpful and he explains this. He says, Jesus came and fulfilled those conditions so that God can love us unconditionally. The conditions are still required, but it's through Jesus we are loved unconditionally. Jesus stood in our place, fulfilled the law in our place so that we can be seen as if we have done that. And so as a result, we are wrapped up in no condemnation. If condemnation is utter disapproval, no condemnation is full approval. It's full acceptance. It's the mother of all embraces. So Paul is going, beat those wings, beat this truth into your wings so you can fly. No, you are no longer condemned, ever. You are fully approved, forever. Full approval. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher from the last century, he says, most of our troubles are due to our failure to realise the truth of this verse. Most of our troubles are due to the failure to realise the truth of this verse. By setting us free through Holy Spirit, Jesus has scooped us up into full approval and that does not and will not change. In a world that is very quick to remind us of our worst moments, isn't it? It keeps being thrown back at us. As Christians, we are freed to walk with our heads held high knowing that we are the children of a mighty and kind king. You can do that. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of what sometimes you're doing or will do, you have full approval by the mighty king through Jesus, by Holy Spirit. Full approval. So Paul is saying here, when you're feeling rubbish, when you're feeling low, 
when you're feeling ashamed, know this, you are no longer condemned, you are utterly, fully approved. Full stop. Beat that truth into your wings. That's the first, that's the first beat of the wings. You are approved through the Spirit. I think there's a whole sermon on that. There's a whole sermon on each of these, to be honest. But we're going to have to race through a little bit. You're approved by the Spirit. Next one gets us to beat our wings. From verse 5. He then says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Can we just have the next slide up, please, Paul? I've just separated that into two columns just to help you see what Paul's getting at, just to put it in a different way, just so you can see that. The mind's focus. If we're focusing on the flesh, we end up with the desires of the flesh that lead to death, that lead to hostility to God. Death is simply alienation. It affects your relationship. If you're his, you're his, but you can still create a lack of peace in that relationship, can't you? You can create hostility to God, to his ways, to his purposes, to his desires. You can start to shun what he wants for you. But if we live according to the Spirit, we have desires of the Spirit which brings life and peace and we are pleasing God. Where we set our minds determines our direction. It determines our growth and it determines how much we experience that abundant life that Jesus has promised. What we focus on has a consequence. Simple. Living according to the flesh sets our hearts on the desires of the flesh, which results in lifelessness and hostility to God. When you look at it at the bare facts, it makes sense, doesn't it? When we're in the thick of it, we're not thinking like that. We're thinking about our own selfish desires, aren't we? Living according to the Spirit sets our hearts on desires of the Spirit, which results in life and peace and pleasing God. There is just as much danger for Christians to live according to the flesh as anyone else. Don't think we're immune to it anymore. And if we're honest with ourselves, we recognise it in our hearts, the desire to do so. Otherwise, in fact, there'd be no need for Paul to warn us to set our hearts on the good things, set our hearts on things of the Spirit. He says it again in Colossians chapter 3. Right at the beginning of Colossians chapter 3, he says it to another church elsewhere. He says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are of the earth. That doesn't mean don't think about nice food. That doesn't mean don't listen to music in the pop charts. He's not, he's not saying that at all. Earthly things. To set your mind, to set your heart, means to be preoccupied. It means to have your imagination captured by something. It suddenly becomes the big thing, the all-consuming thing. It's where you keep heading when you're quiet, when you're lonely, when you're angry, when you're tired. This is where you go. This is where you're drawn to for your comforts. Being preoccupied with something. So that can mean neutral things, can mean good things. doesn't necessarily mean just bad things. Jenny won't mind me saying that a few years ago, she used to spend a lot of time on rightmove.co.uk looking at other houses. Spending a lot of time, a lot of time, a lot of time looking at other houses. Going, no, 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 she's happy, she's, she's fine. I asked if I was allowed to share this. She spent a lot of time just looking at other houses. Are houses evil? Of course they're not. They're neutral and they can be good. They, they provide homes, roofs over our heads. But Jenny realised she was getting preoccupied with it. it was, she was setting her heart on earthly things in that way. She was, her imagination was captured. and it was, All it was bringing 
was death, alienation, hostility to God, not listening to what God wanted her to do or what God wanted her to be content with. She's becoming discontent. Look, well, our house isn't the same and we haven't got that and we haven't got that and look at that one. If only, or we haven't got enough money to buy that one. It's, it's, it, can wrap us, it can just completely consume us. So she stopped it. She stopped it. Set her mind on other things that then bring life. Jenny now does quilting. She makes amazing quilts in her little craft room. But she realised even that can then become a preoccupation. It's a good thing. And it blesses other people with gifts. But it can also become a preoccupation that actually is setting your heart on desires of the flesh instead of desires of the spirit. So she still does it. She makes amazing quilts. But she listens to Matt Chandler sermons while she's doing it. So her mind isn't preoccupied by the quilt. It's a good hobby to do. Yeah. Have interests. Get involved in things. Make things. Be creative. We're made in the image of a creator. God, let's do it. Let's make stuff. But her mind isn't preoccupied with it. She's enjoying it. But she's ensuring her preoccupations are heavenly, are Godward, and so on. Does that make sense? We can either be captured by the shiny things that lead us away from God, and which ultimately prove to be not nice shiny things, just a poor man's tinfoil. Whatever we set our hearts on that's earthly will always, always let us down. Or we can still be captured by the wonders of God himself while still navigating this life and this world. We can still enjoy things in this world as long as they're not our preoccupation. We're setting our minds on the desires of the Spirit. When we are preoccupied with walking without God, we resist his advances and we're on a lifeless path. You can still be his, you can still going through the motions, but that abundant life, is it there? But when we're preoccupied with walking with God, our hearts are redirected in the right direction and we embrace his advances and on the, on the path to more life. Paul says, beat your wings. Beat your wings. Let your hearts be redirected by the Spirit. Okay, third one. We can just go back to the other slide, I think, Paul. Actually, thank you. We are secured with the Spirit from verse 9. So Paul continues. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, and that word you is plural, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. We'll go to the next verse. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, there it is again, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. In you. It's another way of ramming that first point home. You are now fully approved. Why? Holy Spirit's in you. Holy Spirit's in you. New birth, new life. <coughs> Excuse me. Paul also says in 2 Corinthians, he says it to other churches as well. It's an amazing truth. He wants to keep getting home. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. He says, uh, God who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Holy Spirit is in you. As a guarantee. And he continues in Ephesians chapter 1 as well to the church in Ephesus. He says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, what happened? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Holy Spirit is in us as a deposit, as a guarantee of something even greater to come one day, our full inheritance. It's like putting a deposit down on a house or on a car what you're doing you're securing the completion of the deal it may not have gone fully through yet 
but you've set yourself on the path, that's yours now. No one else is allowed to muscle in or elbow in because you've put the deposit down. That's what God's done with us. Holy Spirit as a deposit residing in us ensures that no one else gets the final say anymore. Again, it's another ramming home of point one. You're approved, you are secured. Our path to eternal life is set as a result and we belong to someone else now. No one else has any other say. And while life is pretty unstable, let's be honest, isn't it? There's no guarantees in life, really. Whether it's income, you're trusting your employer to keep having enough money to give you or keep wanting to give you money, aren't you? Or your pension funds, you're trusting that to still be there to keep dishing out when it needs to be. Or, I don't know, whatever, uh, roof over your heads. Not to be too morbid, but wasn't it they say you're about three months away from losing your house? If you start failing to keep up payments because the income's failed, it happens. It does happen. Um, relationships, not always guaranteed, are they? Health is not always guaranteed. It's not secure and certain. But here is a sure and certain guarantee in this life. We can't always feel totally secure about most things in this life. But we can be certain of our salvation. We can be certain that the great shepherd is looking after us and he's given us a way to experience life abundant. Life abundant is not about material stuff, but something greater. And it's available. And if you're his, you're his. Sometimes people ask me, how can I be sure I'm a Christian? Have you ever had that question? Is it, is it real? Am I really saved? Have you ever worried about that? Any people ever worried about that? I know people have asked me before. Well, that first uh, Ephesians verse I just read. Here's a good clue. Am I saved? Paul says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed. Have you heard the gospel of salvation? Have you heard the word of truth? And did you believe in it? Well, there's a good clue. Another one, looking for fruit of repentance. John the Baptist, when he's baptizing people, he's baptizing them who bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do you bear fruit in your life? that demonstrates there's a repentance going on in your heart, a change of behavior, change of character. Are you growing? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Even in small ways, if that's happening, there's a good indicator you belong to someone else now. Jesus uh, also said, also in chapter 10, he explained to his disciples that if you're mine, you're always mine. He said, no one can pluck you out of my hand. And then the following verse, he repeats it in another way, no one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. He said it's two ways just to make sure you get it. If you're his, you are his. And that means no one can pluck you out of his hand. The devil can't. You can't either. If you're his, you're his. Find security in that. If you've, if you've repented and believed, you're his. No matter what, how much you've slipped up since then, we still do that. But if you're his, you're his. One more clue. If it really bothers you, I know I've people wringing their hands. I don't know if I'm saved. How can I know? How can I know? How can I know? If it really bothers you, I think it's a good in, good indicator. If you weren't, would you be that bothered? Think about it. Paul just wants us to beat our wings and know that you are secured in the spirit with a deposit for a greater inheritance, which we'll be talking about in a couple of weeks. A greater inheritance to come. You're approved. Your hearts are redirected in the spirit when you lean into Him. You are secured with the spirit. And the last one. We are equipped by the Spirit. Verse 12. In light of everything we've heard, you're approved, you're, you're uh, redirected, you're secured. So then, brothers, in light of all that, he says we are debtors. 
Or sometimes the translation will say we have an obligation. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if this, by the Spirit, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. To be in debt, to be obliged, to have an obligation, is about being bound to a certain behavior. So Paul's going, in light of all you've heard, here's how you should live. Because that can sound like it's got a whiff of something that defeats everything Paul's been trying to get across, that doing the right thing doesn't solve your problems. It's about relationship with God. And now he's saying, do the right thing. He's talking about do the right thing out of relationship, by the Spirit. By the Spirit. If you want to truly live, if you want to truly experience that abundant life, it's out of relationship, not out of rules. Rules cannot bring abundant life. They could bring a tidy one, but it'll have a short expiry date on it. Something will unravel. You ever tried living by the rules? Some point you give up. Some point other things muscle in. It doesn't work. It might, happen. it might work for a little while, but it doesn't bring abundant life, does it? No. We need more than that, more than rules to experience true life abundant. We need Holy Spirit himself. Here's another way of explaining it. UK law... UK law recognises and defines and enables a marriage to be recognised, doesn't it? UK law decides, yes, in light of all that, you ticked all the boxes, you are now married. And you are now registered as married, you're recorded as married. In the eyes of the law, you are now married. And no one can have any other word. No one can go, no, they're not. Go, actually, yes. UK law enables a marriage to be recognised and it enables a marriage to not be recognised, to be recognised that you're no longer married. You're single or you're now divorced. The UK law defines that. And has the final say on that, whether you're married or not. If that marriage goes wrong, the law can't help. The rules can't help. The law is not the answer. And in the same way, using God's commands by rote, without relationship, means we'll always be tripped up by our hearts again. It won't solve the problem. The Holy Spirit is able to help us navigate the grey areas of life. There's a reason why Jesus called him the counsellor. I'm sending you a counsellor. He's someone who knows better and is able to help us navigate the difficult areas of life. He enables us, as Paul's saying here as well, enables us to strengthen us to wage war on sin. And so therefore we can see that this obligation is not duty-bound for the sake of it. It's not merely owing God good works in return for the ones he's done for us. Instead, it's bound by a covenantal love. It's like, it is a marriage. It's not like a marriage. It is a marriage. I'm... I'm I am obligated to honour my wife above all other women on this planet. That's not a bad obligation. That's a good obligation. That's not out of rules. And it's not just because UK law tells me to. It's out of our relationship. And so we are obliged to God in the same way. It's a marriage. We are obliged to him to live a certain way and to wage war on sin. We need to protect this marriage by putting sin to death is the language that Paul uses. Not ignoring sin. Not just refusing to listen to sin. Not just shunning sin. Killing it putting it to death, waging war. As Christians, we are not to play games with sin. How close can I skirt to the edge of the cliff? How close can I get to that as a Christian without tripping over? Well, you're probably asking the wrong question. How about don't go anywhere near the cliff edge? might be simpler that way. We're not to play games with sin. We are to put it to death. That means turn it off, walk away, bite your tongue, Whatever situation you're in, whatever you're being tempted by, kill it. But not in our strength, because that's flesh again, 
but Holy Spirit's. We need to succumb to his control. And as we do, as we rely on him and ask him for help. Remember last time I was talking about the guys on the train and he needed the right help to come in and help him? That's what we need. We need to ask for help. And that's where we will find outrageous and abundant life. That's where we'll find true adventure in this life. That's where we'll find true and surprising freedom in this life. And Paul's saying, kill it. By Holy Spirit's power and strength and help, kill it. Wage war on sin. Pump the strength into those wings, knowing you're approved, knowing you're redirected, secured and equipped by Holy Spirit. You're not in this alone. This is a new thing now. So four beats of the wings to help us fly. Some of you might already be living this way. Some of you might be struggling to. I think it's something for all of us to take home and just keep allowing these truths just to seep deep into our marrow. But there's just one thing I just want to share just before we finish. We're just going to pray together. Holy Spirit is not a plaything. Holy Spirit is not a power boost. Sometimes he's treated as such. He's not a thing. Holy Spirit is a person with a mind of his own who knows a lot better than you do. We need to not use him to our whims and seek him to help things out, work out our way. We need to submit to him because he knows far, far better. You know the Celtic Christians in the early Middle Ages, do you know what they called Holy Spirit? The wild goose. They called the Holy Spirit the wild goose. Why? Because they knew that he, being God, was not something to be tamed or domesticated by man. He had a mind of his own and you have to let him get on and do what he's doing. And that can be difficult in our lives. Too often we get caught up in asking Holy Spirit for experience rather than presence. Two very different things. We can keep asking Holy Spirit to change someone. <laughs> you ever done that? Can you change their behavior? Can you stop them doing that? Can you help, can you help change this situation? And sometimes we're using him as a plaything or a power boost. He, we need to submit to him. Asking for help, absolutely, but we need to be very careful how we do that. We need to be honourable. Holy Spirit is just as holy as Father and Son. We need to honour that. We need to be very careful. Holy Spirit is God, so he is good, but he is not ours to control. He is not a toy. But he does give us these four beats of the wings that get us flying. Through Holy Spirit, majestic Holy Spirit, you are approved forever, no longer condemned. Through Holy Spirit, our hearts can keep, get, keep getting redirected, redirected to things of life and peace. Through Holy Spirit, we are secured once and forever. He resides in you. That just blows my mind. Holy Spirit, who is involved in creation, resides in me. And also through Holy Spirit, we are equipped and enabled to stand firm, to wage war on sin, and to live for God. We get to fly and flourish. And so John chapter 10 Again, when Jesus talks about abundant life to the full, we get to live that out. Not on our own, not through rules, but by Holy Spirit, bringing the joy and peace of our Heavenly Father to everyone around us. I think it would be good for us to pray. Uh, Pete, do you mind just playing a bit of music in the background? That's all right, thank you. Just want to stay seated where, seated where you are. I'm just going to keep these words up on the screen. But I sense for... Many of us in the room, there'll be at least one of these that is singing to us right now. Something that maybe even the Holy Spirit, just ask him, what, Holy Spirit, what, what are you asking me to focus on right now? We're just going to pray it through together.
Which of these do you need to know more today? There's always something we need to be reminded of or learn for the first time. Do you need to know that you are approved through the Holy Spirit? Do you sense condemnation? Do you, do you sometimes sense Heavenly Father's scowl when you've done something wrong? He doesn't look at you like that anymore. He wants the best for you and he wants to pick you up and help you grow and help you resist temptation. But he's not scowling. If you belong to him, you're his kid now and he loves you to bits. Know you're approved through Holy Spirit. Do you need help redirecting your heart's desires, your preoccupations to more heavenly things than earthly things? Then ask Holy Spirit to help you. Do you sometimes question your salvation? It's a repeat of part one. And just ask Holy Spirit just to reassure you that I am in you. And because I'm in you, you're safe forever. When it comes to waging war on sin, do you need Holy Spirit's help? Do you ask him often enough? Or do you try and do it on your own? Are you going it alone? Or are you going in with Holy Spirit? Just keep your eyes closed. Just if you need to reach out, if you need to get on your knees, if you need whatever you need to do, but just... I'm just going to give us 30 seconds just to spend some time alone and then I'm going to pray on the back. To let Holy Spirit just witness and counsel you just for the next short while.